everybody, welcome to 2016. This is the Boy Hattie Podcast, where we yatter at y'all about pop culture garbage. I'm Annie. I'm Bill. And uh, Bill, how did your 2015 wrap up, my friend? No, 2015 wrapped up super chill. Um, I just, uh, on New Year's Eve proper, what the hell did I do? I hung out with some friends, uh, Joshin made a bunch of sukiyaki, teriyaki chicken, handmade gyoza. I hung out with an older lady with giant breasts while my gay friend fondled those giant breasts, as seems to be the tradition on every New Year's Eve with this gang, and there was an elderly French lady wearing reindeer bells who clattered around, and we played Cards Against Humanity, and it was a pretty cool night. It was a good time. Well, I'm glad you had a good one, my friend. Yeah. Um, well, how was your uh, New Year's Eve? Uh, we have a habit of being in bed by 10 o'clock, yeah. and I really like it. I have to say, it's pretty damn good. So were you asleep by the time midnight hit? Oh, hell yes. Oh, uh, I, I I don't think I've actually been asleep for New Year's since I was, like, five. Because even as a little yeah. kid, my parents would uh, we'd go over to friends, like, you know, fa- uh, friends of the family house, and, and I would play with other kids, and we would still, you know, it was a treat to stay up until, like, 1 a.m. And, sure, uh, yeah. Yeah, I know, I, I know <coughs> a bunch of people who were asleep by the time the ball dropped. Well, see, I, everyone I know, we all, we, we're always up at midnight anyway, so, like, staying up for, for midnight for uh, New Year's Eve wasn't much of a trick. Um, but, yeah, no, it's cool. Uh, yeah, we, we host a whole bunch of people who come over here, and we have a good time, so... It was, it was well. Funny. I had to be I had to be in bed at a decent hour so that I could uh, be up bright and early to go to the Lego store January first oh, and right, pick yeah. up all the new Lego sets. Well, so you got the you, you got a couple sets. Yeah, so I went out. Uh, January first is when Lego releases a lot of new. They released a shit ton of stuff this year, but the main event and uh, what most of the nerds are there for, or the next release in the modular series, which is they have different buildings in like a city block. Mm-hmm. So I, I went out and picked up the Brick Bank, which fully is as we speak finishing up construction. Finishing up, and, damn. Uh, okay. Yeah, and uh, we picked up Bill, uh, the ridiculous Lego Ghostbusters firehouse, which I wasn't. Oh, I, I've been for the last week. I've been debating as to whether or not I should pick it up because it's an awesome. Looks like an awesome set, uh, but also costs three hundred fifty dollars, which is yeah. like that's a big chunk of like rent money. Uh, so I was like, oh man, and like, but I was like, well, you know what, the thing that. Uh, tipped me over was the, the was like looking at the little the, the what the leaked lists for Lego stuff that's coming out for like the next six months. There's a you know it doesn't seem like I'm gonna be tempted by anything else anytime soon. Yeah. Uh, so and unless they have some kind of crazy, they'll probably have big crazy Christmas set I'll want by the end of the year. But sure. at least I should be relatively in the clear for at least the next six months. Which is funny because it like, feels like I've developed a legitimate Lego habit when I'm like, okay, well, this is the one big stupid Lego thing I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm probably only going to need to buy for the next six months. I don't know what about Christmas, but for now I should be yeah. okay. Um, well, I got, I, the, the Lego set that I enjoyed the most that we picked up was actually pretty surprising. Mm-hmm. If you like Lego even a little bit, one of the um, – they have this – the creator series and they have a bunch of sets that they call their three-in-one sets because you, there are three different ways to build it. They have three different sets of instructions. And there's one of those called the Lakeside Lodge, which is one of the cutest and most pleasant Lego sets I've put together in a while. Yeah. I really like it. So in which Highly configuration did you build it up in? I like the one that was on the cover, oh, okay. so With I the did moose? the default one. Yeah, well, they all have the moose. That's that's what really sold me on this set. It's not like you, it's not like the moose turns into a chicken or a car, but yeah. 
Um, I really, yeah, it comes with, you can build a moose out of parts, which is what part of what sold me on yeah, it. Yeah, that is so cool! So, so it turns into a lakeside cabin, what are the other two things? Just different versions of the same cabin? Yeah, they're just other little cabins. Yeah, because like yeah. a friend of the podcast, Daniel Rudis, he got me um, the, the Changing Seasons set. Uh, which turns in, you, you, there's a fall, winter, and uh, spring slash summer configuration. Which actually I need to change because it's still in its autumn configuration. And as we speak right now, <laughs> uh, I need to change it to winter because as we speak, uh, we're Portland's getting its first snowfall of the year. Uh, so today yeah, would be, actually, no, that may be actually a fun way. Uh, as soon as we're done broadcasting, I'm supposed to go out to a, the fanciest theater I've ever been to in my life to go see Star Wars again. And once that's done, maybe I'll come back and. I'll tromp through the crisp our Oregon snow and rebuild that little set into its winter configuration. I'll be all I'll make some <laughs> hot chocolate. We all cocoa warm and fuzzy. Always oh, so good. Yeah. Yeah. I got to say that one of the best parts about this new this is our second year going to Lego Store on January first. <laughs> it's, uh, it's officially a tradition. It's officially now. a tradition. And uh, but I gotta say what's really cute is that Lego fans are just kind of charming. Yeah. Like it, it it's a fifty fifty mix of women and men, which I always enjoy. Uh-huh. And uh, there were yeah there was like this there were a group of older ladies who ranged from their late sixties to early seventies in front of yeah. us who were talking really feverishly about the, what they planned on buying today. Uh-huh. It was just all really charming. Were they getting really the Lego charming. for I made themselves? A line. Oh yeah. Oh, okay. oh hell yeah. Yeah. There were there were like maybe. 20 children there but it was mostly adults oh man yeah that, well, that's the other thing so i was debating whether or not whether or not to get this giant ghostbusters firehouse and then the thing that pushed me over the uh, the the into, into finally pulling the trigger was like yeah that on new year's eve annie's like well i'm getting up at 10 a.m to, to to go to the lego store and can i pick you up a firehouse and i was like oh there's no way they're gonna have that in stock they're gonna have like three three lego they're gonna have three copies of that thing and it'll be claimed before you show up. And she's like, Annie's all like, no, they're going to have like tons. Don't worry. And they did. They had pallets and pallets. Yeah. And, pallets and so I was them. like, oh, well, and then, even then I was like, well, if they happen to have one in stock, but still kind of thinking that you weren't going to get one. And then you showed up like two hours later, like, here, motherfucker, here's your fucking 40 pounds of plastic. <laughs> and it is uh-huh. very cool. Yeah. It's the third largest Lego set they've ever put out. Yeah. So good I, luck with I that, buddy. I wonder how expensive, because what the, the two biggest were like, what, the Tosh Hall and t- uh, the what London Bridge. London now, I wonder Bridge, how expensive yeah. those things were because those were the, like the three, the the first two biggest retail sets, right? Yeah, I think. Yeah, so. and that Taj Mahal, Taj Mahal set is fucking huge. That must have been like yeah, like, at least like five hundred bucks. And this, yeah, shit, it's crazy to think this is bigger than the Lego Star Destroyer. Which fuck yeah, yeah that's, that's yeah. Anyway, so. Anyway, friends, this is what have, has been our semi-monthly Lego Man. corner on the Boy Hattie podcast. How was your Christmas, Annie? Because we haven't talked since Christmas either. It was a really good holiday. We we flew down to Texas and surprised my mom. Um, and she jumped about three feet in the air and shouted a string of expletives and burst into she tears. She really had no idea you guys were going to show up? Yeah, we managed to keep it surprised because her birthday is on the 19th. Yeah. So, uh, and my sister threw a surprise party for Aww. her birthday. So my mom thought that she was all out of surprises yeah. until uh, she walked around the corner and saw us sitting in my sister's living room. Oh, okay, you guys didn't plots. jump out of a cake or anything like that. No, oh. no. We, we thought about all sorts of ways to exactly. do it. Exactly. That was uh, nice to have her just turn the corner and go, 
Yeah. Aww. Yeah, it was really good. But uh, one of my favorite things about going home to Texas, beyond obviously seeing my favorite uh, f- favorite people uh, on Earth to whom I'm related by blood, uh, it's uh, to my f- hometown of Fort Worth, Texas has a lot of really good museums, mm-hmm. all within a one-mile radius, um, that we have an amazing museum called the Amon Carter, which has a beautiful collection of works of American art. There's the Kimball Art Museum, which has classical art, and then there's the Modern, which has modern art. And uh, we went and did the trifecta and uh, went to the Kimball where they had a, uh, I'm going to misspell, mispronounce his name, um, Calabot show. Um, I know him. He did this beautiful piece I've always loved called the wood scrapers or excuse me, the floor scrapers, I believe, which are these uh, three men uh, scraping a floor and part of refinishing. I've seen that before. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, what's interesting is that I was reading the copy. They had that on display, and I was reading the copy of it, and he was criticized because it was like, if you're going to do nudes, do beautiful nudes. Don't do normal people. And oh, he was basically like, fuck you. Yeah. It was really interesting because he was rich. He had money. So it was interesting to see someone who was kind of in with the Impressionists, inspired by them and doing all that, but didn't have to worry about doing commercial art, yeah. where he was just doing the subjects he wanted and uh, doing weird shit with perspective if he wanted to, doing weird shit with color yeah, and composition. Right That's and, really nice. He wasn't beholden to a patron yeah. or anything like that. Yeah. Exactly, oh, which was really, really interesting. But the show, and I enjoyed that show, but the show that blasted that out of the water was at the Modern Art Museum. There was an exhibition by a gentleman named Kahindi Wiley. And Bill, I actually got you a, a book of postcards of his work. Oh, okay, you, cool. Because that stuff really enjoy pretty it. cool. It was f- cool as shit. This guy is, uh, he does, I highly recommend Googling him and looking at his work. His whole thing is that he does huge, and when I say huge, I mean like six to nine foot by, you know, 10 to 12 foot oil portraits of um, persons of color. Like, he'll go out to, like, he did all these series where he went to Brazil and he went to uh, various countries in Africa and he went, you know, he goes to these places, he'll find subjects on the street in their, just in their street clothes and he'll go back and photograph them and he'll pose them based on and inspired by works of of, uh, either classical works of art or classical photography or classic portraiture. So it's elusive of all these, you know, very structured, you know, very regimented, kind of either religious or, yeah. you know, uh, like, uh, that's sort of art. But it's just these normal people, their normal clothes. And uh, his whole thing is that he wanted to, he's like, you know, when you're African American, when you look, when you see that sort of art with that sort of context, at best, you know, we're slaves in the background. Yeah. Or, you know, like, we're servants. And he's like, I wanted to depict people of color with dignity and uh, with the same, like, so people could see themselves in these works of art where they're, they're kind of, it's very triumphant and proud. Yeah. And it, it was one of the most moving and impressive shows I've ever seen. That, that, that pitch sounds like it could be kitschy and uh, it could, like, it could be, like, ironic or something. It can be but kitschy instead- he's done a lot of portraits. It seems like he's been commissioned by a bunch of, like, rap artists and stuff. Like, he's, he's did, done portraits like Ice-T and Biggie Smalls and stuff like that. And that stuff kind of well, does veer towards kitschy when you've got Ice-T, like, dressed like a king. But, like, you know. He, he, but, yeah. There was a piece there that was, like, 15 feet by 10 feet that was um, Michael Jackson as Napoleon. Yeah, that's one of the things I'm looking at right now, too, which, yeah, that's fucking but it's, crazy. Yeah. It's, it, but it's not... 
it's not ironic. Like those, oh, the, know, like know, Mike, Michael Jackson is like a, 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 a being of importance. Well, you know, the, it's the like Michael this Jackson sort of thing. As a as as a well, as a white guy viewer, skews a little more towards ironic for me because Michael Jackson actually kind of dressed like that sometimes in real life. Whereas the other stuff, where you actually have like uh, real people in actual street clothes, dra- like painted like that. That that I think that's a little more interesting than the, the Michael Jackson thing. But yeah, that's cool that it was there. And the sheer size of that sounds bonkers too. Just yeah, as and, a and this guy. And this guy designs the frames too, and like he had some cast bronze pieces in there that made me well, lose my shit. Like and the coolest, yeah. the coolest pieces in there, in my opinion, were he actually did a series of stained glass windows, mm. like classic stained glass windows that were um, depicting um, uh, these these African American dudes in their clothes as like various Christian martyrs and saints, and it was just cool as shit. It was cool as shit. It was one of the coolest shows I've ever seen in my life. I can't, like, his skill is so astonishing. Like, dude has chops. And, uh, like, just the scale of it was so overwhelming. And seeing all his work together in a, in mass was so impactful. Like, it was, if you are anywhere within five hours drive of this tour as it tours by, highly recommend going it's, to it. It's coming to Seattle. Yeah. But I'm gonna go see it again. It's funny how interesting it can be, because, like, he plays with form a lot, too, with, like, yeah, so, you, like, you're saying, like, he'll have a giant painting that'll be huge with, like, a super fancy, ritzy, what you would think would be some kind of, like, you know, fancy art museum frame, and it's interesting, too, because he'll, he'll have his black subjects in, like, a uh, classical pose, but then also the background sometimes, instead of having a normal background, will have some... Sometimes it'll be kind of crazy popped-out punk psychedelic stuff, or, or, or sometimes it will be classical with, like, little flowers and stuff. Like, he's got one painting of a... Yeah, it's just a black guy in uh, normal clothes, like street clothes, just kind of uh, reclined on this couch, but, like, everything about it is, like, a classical painting, except the subject is just, like, a normal human being, not some kind of, like... Rubenesque fertility goddess from like you know 1655. It, that's yeah, really he, cool. apparently yeah. my mom told me that he was a fabric designer. Like he would do design. Yeah, he's fabric really patterns. he seems to be really into pattern and color and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And what's cool is that he'll so he'll his process was he'd photograph a subject and he'd be you know talking to them and trying to get the right pose and everything like yeah. that. He'd take it back to his studio. He would paint the subject first and then he would paint this crazy background around them. Yeah. It's usually like this sort of insane repeating pattern. But what I think is interesting is that he would put his subject within the pattern. Like the pattern would be curling up around them yeah. as often as not. And like, it's just, and like, and you would have like this, this very classically rendered oil portrait where you can like all perfectly captures all the hues and colors of human skin. And then you'll have this really like stark black, like pattern like maybe a floral yeah pattern that's the thing with, yeah like, kind of flat like an and the roundness really contrast against each other yeah just one of the coolest shows i've ever been to in my yeah, life he's got a holy giant shit. painting of l cool j holy shit if i had a mansion fuck i'm sure that's probably cool, hanging in l cool j's mansion right now but that's fucking yeah it looks like his uh artwork shows up a whole bunch in empire uh the tv show empire and stuff and uh that, that's one crazy. of one of the coolest exhibitions I've ever been yeah, to. Yeah, not life. just cool because it's. It can also be a little condescending to be like, oh, it's a black guy painting black people, but presenting it's like it's white people. It's actually more interesting than just like. Than the, yeah, it's. <laughs> Seriously. Is... Um, anyway, so yeah, that was my Christmas, Bill. How was yours? Oh, man, my Christmas. What did I do for Christmas? Oh, I went to go see The Hateful Eight. 
Yeah, it was great because I woke up, uh, you know, woke up in the morning. So sad because there was no snow, but now we have snow today, which makes me so happy. Um, yeah, exchanged some gifts with the housemates, and then I went out to uh, see The Hateful Eight, which you have not seen yet, right? I have not. I tried to go see it this weekend, but uh, Quentin Tarantino showed up at the showing here in town, actually, as my plane was landing. Oh, yeah. So uh, it got a lot of attention on uh, the uh, Hollywood Theater here in town, which has a really good 70 millimeter projection system. Yeah. And uh, like they actually invested a lot of time and money in it and have projectionists to know what they're doing. So Quentin sh- showed up and all of Portland learned about it. They didn't know about it. And all of Portland has been going and every showing I've tried to go to has been show- sold out. Are people hoping he might come back? I don't know, dude. I don't know. He's just like he's just hiding under the seats, be, be like he could show up at any time. Um, Seriously, yeah. So I guess he, I guess uh, the the owner of the Hollywood here uh, theater, uh, the the uh, the owner of the Hollywood theater here in town in Portland. I guess he's not not like super tight with Quentin Tarantino. Uh, Quentin Tarantino. It's not like they grew up in school or anything like that. But it sounds like they were directly communicating and stuff in order to get you know like the all the equipment ready for uh, the Hateful Eight stuff. And it is interesting that uh, Tarantino chose Portland to be the first place to start his tour of uh, kind of a select handful of the theaters that are showing the Hateful Eight seventy millimeter pr- uh, presentation. And man, I did not care much for the movie itself. It's not bad, but it's on like the Tarantino scale of things. I wasn't super impressed impressed uh but the presentation itself it's as as predictably crazy as you would think it was i i can't according to the hollywood theater they are saying that they do have the the largest 70 millimeter theater in the country they're bragging about that and that screen is big enough i can almost believe them i'm kind of surprised this would be the biggest 70 uh, 70 millimeter screen outside of la or including la uh but it's it's really cool and the sound system i still man it's rare to have a second-run indie movie house that has a sound system that is as aggressively loud. Second-run indie movie house. Fuck yourself. Well, that's what it is. <laughs> that's what it is. That is um, not a second-run indie movie house. I said You, you can say second-run, I have seen the, the two movies, last two movies I saw at the Hollywood Theater were The Empire Strikes Back, second-run, and I oh my god! It's what you didn't see a first run Empire Strikes Back there in last week? I guess maybe hell? I could if I if I had time machine. Oh, no, Bill. but it is. That's what it, I'm not I'm disparaging it. But it's not a big first run multiplex. But the sound the sound quality there is first run multiplex quality sound loud enough. Yeah. That's I've heard other people talk about how when they went to go see the Hateful Eight, the people were covering their ears throughout the whole movie because it's so nice and loud. And with a Tarantino movie, you want that because you know the huge gunshots and stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, the presentation was great. Uh, the soundtrack of the Hateful Eight is amazing. Uh, uh, with the seventy millimeter roadshow, you get a whole like twelve minute opening. No, no, it's it's, it's like a three minute overture, uh, which is fucking great. It's music by Ennio Morricone. Uh, that's it's one of my favorite film scores of all time. Now it's huh. fucking amazing, uh, especially f- uh, for the opening overture because you go in there and it's the super huge, super wide screen. In the overture, they play this blood red graphic that's just a picture of a stagecoach. Uh, with a bunch of mountains behind it, and it's just a very stark. It's mostly blood red with a little bit of white to define what the stagecoach stage and the mountaintops are. And the music comes up, and it, it's this super just kind of like nauseating, kind of rhythmic music that just rises, and you get this big blood red screen, and that that itself set the tone for the movie better than kind of the movie set the tone for itself. 
and uh, and and there's a whole intermission and just you get like yeah you get your little program that talks about the making of the movie and the uh, the programs that they hand out for the roadshow version have a centerfold of of a random character from the movie so uh, at intermission everyone was comparing who they got and uh, which is great because you know by the halfway through the movie you've already got like favorite characters and stuff like that so people were like yeah can I can I trade I I really like Jennifer Jason Lee I got Tim Roth I'll tell you to trade you a Tim Roth for a Jennifer Jason Lee and stuff like that it was, it was <laughs> cute. Uh, so that was a really fun uh, Christmas day walked out of awesome. the theater news crews were filming and interviewing people walking out of the theater yeah that's the, that's yeah. one of those things that regardless of how you feel about the film it's like it's more of an experience as much yeah. as it is and again it's know. not it's not it's not a bad movie except I was expecting a little bit more i think it's one of tarantino's lesser it's not terrible it's just kind of flat um for, well, especially I for being three hours long i, I i'm kind of curious honestly your disinterest in it makes me feel curious about it because your favorite tarantino is django and your least favorite is death proof and for me that's swapped so i'm curious really you see. don't like django fuck django why? no why fuck django django is boring Oh, Django's fucking amazing. I, I found Django. Man, hey, you know really what? Ter- you know what? J- <laughs> Inglorious Bastards is the bar scene from Inglorious Bastards, except padded out to three hours long. Which is because that bar scene in Inglorious Bastards is one of the best things Quentin Tarantino's ever done. But that does not hold up to uh, for, you know, for three I'll, hours. I'll, I'll be yeah. curious to see what your take on it is. Yeah, it, no, I'm, like I'm, I said, it's I not mean, bad. It's not bad. I have some. F- I have very specific take issues with that movie that'll be interesting I can to understand notes that. with you about maybe next week well um, I will tell you that my big apprehension about uh, De- uh, uh, Hateful Eight and if we were not in a town with a 70 millimeter thing doing it right I probably would wait for um, uh, a home video mm-hmm. is just that it's a movie in a room with like what eight people only one of them is a woman and she's silent oh is people that- have complained about the, the gender issues in that movie yeah. Uh, to me, everyone in that movie is so much of an asshole. The gender of anyone really doesn't matter so much. But... That's really easy for you to say as a white dude. I know. I'm, I'm just, just saying. saying. Well, I, I, well, yeah. Well, I, well yeah. <laughs> I, 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 yeah. I'm not, Yeah. Um, so, but it's harder for yeah, me I can to preface that with everything. Out. I should just have a, uh, a shirt that says, I'm a white guy. Don't ignore what I'm about to say, but here's my opinion about this thing. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, um, it's just like that. That's hard. The older I get, the harder that is for me. You're then. not going to like that movie then. I, <laughs> yeah. I can say it now. I'll be actually surprised if you come out of that movie digging that thing then. Yeah. 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 So that's, that's it's kind not of like the your situation improves in that movie as it goes on. That's, that's the hill that movie has to climb for me. So, yeah. uh, and I'll be. I'll yeah. be curious. So, um, anyway, uh, other than that, what what did you get up to this week, my friend? Now, what else did I do? I, it's a good thing we take notes about this stuff. Um, <laughs> uh, speaking of movie stuff, um, I saw Carol, uh, uh-huh. which I can't talk about because you haven't seen it yet. Did no. you read the book that's based off of? I have. I did a podcast with uh, friends of the podcast, Brenna Zidane and Conley Smith, called The Ladylike Book Club, and uh, where we did ro- lesbian romance novels. And actually, our last book that we did was The Price of Salt, that Carol's based on. I need to go back to listen to that to see how your guys' take on the book compares to what I think about the movie. Um, um, we're we're going to go and see the movie together and then record a special uh, 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 episode of Ladylike where we talk about it. You're doing that today, right? Possibly, I have a cold and it's snowing, so oh, I got to talk with the well, ladies. I, mean, nice, I would love done. to hear again. As I would love to actually go back and listen not only to that first podcast, but see what you guys think about the actual movie. Again, yes. here's Bill showing up with, "Hey, I'm a straight white male. Here's my opinion shirt." I thought the movie was good, 
but I thought the younger lady in the movie was not that interesting. I thought she was kind of a bland cipher, uh, whereas Kate Blanchett was super fucking awesome. Uh, but the movie's still good. But like uh, Mirror by Night, uh, she almost strangled me on on Twitter when I was like, <laughs> blah blah blah. Here's my opinion. She's like, fuck yeah. you, man. Uh, well, if it's like if it's anything like the book, in the book, Therese is a really unlikable asshole. She's not and, unlikable. That's the thing. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. And and the book is all about um uh the female gaze and it's like her being enamored of uh Carol. Yeah. And um and like that kind of infatuation, but it's a different kind of infatuation because A, it's something she's never navigated before. B, it's there's also kind of like a um a history of like there is like a thing where an older lesbian kind of brings it guides a younger person into homosexuality. Like uh-huh. the, like there's that's like a trope? that's a whole thing. Thing. I mean, I wouldn't call it a trope because that would imply that there's media that talks about it. It's more like a thing. Oh, oh very good. A, okay, yeah. It's it's more like it's a thing zing. that happens in the yeah, world. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. And um, yeah. So it's like the whole. If this movie gets the book right, it's Therese is a um is kind of like the uh guiding uh is essentially the harry potter except the magical world is homosexuality and like you it should be about you falling in love with carol even though she's really complicated and um uh not necessarily like in a place to be likable or lovable but just like that in the inevitability of those feelings and how that helps Therese get through it yeah Yeah. it's yeah i don't know i'm I'm really curious about it because it's it was interesting talking to because me or by and i we on twitter we were talking about this we were uh, tweeting back and forth uh, to each other about this for about an hour uh the 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 day after i saw the movie and uh i we one of the things we actually figured out was uh aside from the fact that she's uh, a queer lady who has a, obviously going to have a different perspective on on Carol than I did um also there was also a little bit of an age thing because uh, sure. from my perspective being a 40 year old person uh I kind of viewed the movie through Carol's eyes more than I did Teresa's and so I think that kind of helped that that, that kind of added to my disconnection to Teresa as a character where I thought she was kind of just like an not not, not an uninteresting cipher but she just seemed to be kind of like more of just a generic stand-in for like, hi, I'm kind of a young girl who's not 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 even questioning her sexuality, but someone who hasn't really thought about it much beyond just kind of like accepting what society's given her. And like, you know, of course, it does the thing where Carol's like the first time she's really questioned any of that, which seemed kind of like I don't want to say a stereotype or anything like that. Well, well, you'll have to. See. We can talk more about the movie once you've seen it. Or uh, you know what? Instead of me talking about it with you, I will hear your opinion and then shut up and let you have your. Opinion <laughs> and enjoy I will it say, Bill, yeah. you are talking to someone who identified as straight until they met someone. I know exactly. Who, That's what I'm saying. You know, yeah, I identify this... as someone who was straight until I saw Kate Blanchett in a movie, and then I was like, I'm Kate Blanchett. Uh, you're you're Kate is sexual. Yeah. That's the other thing. So I'm kind of skewed towards that anyway. So I demand. Oh yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's. I think there's a big indicator of what the movie is trying to do and that they made one major change from the book to the movie which is in the book uh, Therese is a set designer and I think that's a little obtuse maybe to some people it's hard to like you know relate to that and to relate to what the difficulty is and get doing that but more than anything else it's I I liked the idea that literally what she does is 
build worlds for pretend people to live pretend lives in. Yeah, like, yeah you know, that's, I, that's not very cinematic to bring across. Exactly. Though, yeah. But I thought it was interesting and uh, kind of obvious, but also... Uh, uh, like uh, obvious and not necessarily a bad way that they changed her to a photographer that you can literally have her like it's all about her eye on carol you know oh no that's actually that's that's exactly what they do with it Uh, which actually i thought that was one of the things that was not very interesting because like her just being a character that just seems like i've seen that in so many romance movies where someone is like 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 the other person becomes their muse a little bit and just seemed a little it would have been more interesting if she was pretty much anything but a photographer um you got it okay we live we live in the world in in america where gay marriage is legal but we also live in a world where there is a you probably haven't seen it because you're not on queer tumblr but there was a there's a tumblr post floating around where literally this person went to an afternoon screening of carol that was pretty much entirely filled with um retirees and halfway through the screening this woman turns to her husband and says harold they're lesbians So I'm just. Oh no! I, 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 what I'm saying is that there's we we live in a world where there are some things that oh, I know seem I know, I know. obvious and transparent, but it's well, baby you steps. Also, you know more. You you've been a victim of this more than anyone else on the whole planet. But also, uh, even age and gender and queer and not queer and social stuff aside, also Bill Mudron has his own tro- truckload of whatever the fuck my opinions are. That ba- that <laughs> I that you, like I beep up with like I start beeping when I back that truck up, and it's just gonna <laughs> cause a mess, and I can't even control it. So oh yeah, man, that, that's speaking thing, yeah. of speaking of queer media that I found so obnoxious that i can't actually even digest oh, no, it yeah flames on the side of your face oh man i finished life is strange over uh the last couple of days is it strange um i you know i i would talk about this on the podcast i had issues with life is strange i um the part that actually made me quit was a little bit into episode four um your best oh, friend thing yeah yeah asks you if you would help them uh commit suicide and i was like fuck this as someone who was a teenager who dealt with suicidal impulses i'm like i don't really need to do this for fun thanks um i've also talked about how um the dialogue in this game is just reprehensible and uh playing uh these uh playing these episodes and there's a part in episode five where you kind of get a recap of the series kind of made me realize how i felt about it um the life is strange is fascinating because it is a game that's pandering to its audience and being pandered to being catered to is not bad that's what most media is most media is directed to an audience but it's there's there's certain kind of pandering where it's like someone who is not of a thing trying to make something for a thing that is just offensive and they don't know because they're trying something. They're trying to be earnest. They're trying to be kind. They're like, here, I made this for you. And they're not, have no consciousness of how, like, totally off the mark it is. It's kind of like if you um, got really into photography, like, really high-end photography. You're saving up for that Canon that you really want. You're really yeah. into DSLR. And you go home for Christmas and your uncle, who barely knows you, heard you got in photography. And so they got you, like, a fucking, you know, a 10-pack of uh, one-use disposal cameras you know it's like here you go you like this that's not a good example that's not a good metaphor but it's no but i get it where someone tries but like it's almost like as if they may as well not have even tried for what the ultimate like output is but you appreciate what they were trying to go for but it's ultimately useless to the cause that they're trying to help 
I mean, I know there are a lot of people who really enjoyed Life is Strange and who could get past the writing and the characterization. I did. I I finally beat it this weekend. And I will say, the last episode almost redeemed the whole series for me. Um, Except beyond just like that sort of characterization that feels kind of lazy and condescending throughout the the series the the voice like the literal dialogue they have these teenage girls say it feels so like an out of touch that's why i couldn't get past the first chapter because the first it it was like it was like watching a bunch of space aliens play dress up as teenage girls that does improve as the series goes on but not enough yeah um but they add an element in episode four, and this is going to be a big spoiler for Life is Strange, one of the mysteries of the game is that there are women going missing. And um, uh, your best friend Chloe, her very dear friend, perhaps even romantic interest, um, has gone missing before the events of the game. And there's like this this undercurrent of you're investigating that. Well, you find out what happened to her and you and in my game, I'm not sure if this was unique or if this was due to my decisions. You and another girl get kidnapped and taken by one of your teachers who it turns out is um, drugging and kidnapping women so that he can photograph them. And his whole thing is that he wants to capture the moment when innocence is lost, when the world goes from black and white to shades of gray. Isn't that the moment where they get kidnapped by a crazy school teacher? That, fortunately, I will say this, fortunately, that is what the game does. They don't take it explicitly to a sexual assault place. The, in, the, the implication is that he merely kidnaps them, drugs them, photographs them, and then kills them. That I will say, thank you, Life is Strange, for not making me endure what you think an experience of sexual assault is. But don't, you know, that only kills them. When you when you are playing with the trope of an older man in power abusing younger women in his sway, that is a loaded fucking gun for a female audience. Because I bet you. I mean, I, I, I know more women who have talked to me about that experience to some degree or other than not. And that is a loaded fucking gun. And this game is not smart enough to play with that gun. Okay. Um, I, one thing that I will give to its credit, though you ha- the implication is that multiple women have gone through this and that you, in that context, there is another girl who is in the situation with you. The only time you actually have to see or experience any of that powerlessness is when you, as the player have some degree of control because you have the ability to rewind time and theoretically mm-hmm. you have the ability to free yourself from the circumstance if you can figure out how. So at least they don't force you to witness your friends go through this assault. They just make you do it and at least they give you some power, but that is still really hard to watch. Is there there's, a path where I there, guess the there's no path where you end up enduring the assault, right? Like it's all oh, yeah. it's all the oh, whole you, point of the game is like dodging that right well you you make you you create a reality in which it doesn't happen but to create that reality you have to endure it let's say maybe 45 minutes of gameplay where you are um cap you are duct taped to a chair okay and there is a puzzle where um uh he uh someone is about to come in and save you you've tipped off a guy who now knows about this and is going to come and uh get you out of the situation and you have to 
figure out how to get through this 30 seconds so that um, everyone lives. And this scene is the gentleman who's kidnapped you comes at you with a, with a needle and is about to inject you to kill you. And uh, at the last minute, right before the needle touches your skin, um, there's a sound. He turns around. It's this dude who's here to save you. They have a tussle and those people could die. So you have to rewind the scene over and over and over and watch yourself powerless about to be shot thrill of drugs over and over again i like that actually does sound interesting having to like refine what you how you're manipulating the situation but i do like it's it's kind of a well-meaning but knuckle-dragging game threatening you with inflicting you with an even more knuckle-draggingly stupid plot element it's like that's why that's like that's 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 the drama at the end of the game is like we could have we could have taken the super stupid route and we'll threaten you with it but maybe if you can manipulate time we'll take the middle road rather than like the super garbage road of storytelling here it was very much so like tomb raider where a fail state meant you had to watch your character suffer again and again and there was a certain you know and i kept thinking i'm like this doesn't feel manipulative in that it doesn't feel like it is like, a titulating sort of thing. They're not trying to... Like, this is not designed to excite anybody, but it's just that you, there are just some tropes that are just hard to deal with when you're a woman, and that was really, really hard. And this game just wasn't smart enough to deal with it. Does and, the game end ugh. with Ashley Birch's character on a cliff face overlooking the Pacific Ocean saying, truly, life is strange? Uh, she does almost say life is strange. She said, life is, there's an ellipsis, uh-huh. and then she says something like, really fucked up or something like that. I want to support Ashley Birch, and I want to support this game, but I bought this game sight unseen the whole season past just because I wanted to support it, but oof. I really liked the last episode. The last episode had some of my favorite little moments that I've seen in a video game this year. I want to feel more conflicted about this game. I really do, because I think the aesthetic is fantastic. I think the mechanics are interesting. I like and respect any game where it encourages you to, if you want to, sit down so your character can just kind of look at what's going on around her and just kind of digest everything that's happened with a little internal dialogue. Like, I like that shit. I think this game is beautiful. I think its music was fantastic. I think the performances were as good as they can be given the lines and very clearly the direction they were giving. Like, I I like so much about it. There's a bit in it where it's in the rain and the way they do raindrops on the characters is they're laying a texture that's very clearly just light and dark drops um, uh, that are the same kind of brush size as a lot of the brush strokes Mm -hmm. in the game of varying opacity. And it's like such a little detail and it's so pleasant. And then, like, the the last episode, they finally start playing with time and kind of, like, um, uh, quick cuts and, like, they do some shit that's genuinely unsettling in a good way. (laughs) But it's just, I can't recommend it. I just feel like it was just too, didn't, didn't, it it was trying to cash checks that it didn't, was not able to do. Are the first person I know who've beaten this game, who, not even beaten the game, you're the first person I've seen who got invested in this game in any way, Mm. who has come out saying anything but, moi, voila, what a fantastic game. Yeah, a lot of people love, really, they're like, oh, if you can just look over past the dialogue, it's really good. Yeah, like, I've seen this game show up on a number of people's best game of the year lists, and, I mean, every, you know, most people, you know, not every recommendation on everyone's game of the year list is unqualified, but everyone's been pretty, like, yeah, exactly, like, like the worst thing people say, like, the dialogue's kind of unrealistic, where it is, yeah. 
It sounds, and I think it's really your take great. on it is closer than mine, and I only played the first fucking episode, and I and I, I didn't even get to see any of the the sexual fucked up shit, but or the gender like the fucking social shit. But it's yeah, uh, yeah and it's like it, I think it's important to have media that's about the experiences of teenage girls, like, and this yeah, feels exactly, yeah. moderately honest and is trying to be you know something. It, it's it an important sort of thing. to have media about sexually frustrated high school photography teachers who have weird <laughs> dipshit ideas about statements about i don't know blah 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 is it that it's, same teacher is that is that of course it is teacher? of course Jesus it is Jesus fucking christ of course he's the murderer that is and i will say okay fuck the this shit game. that gets passed you know, for good video game writing fucking i'll christ. say this so you know the thing about telltale games and any episodic games is that after you get past the third episode you actually have like the creators at that point have digested feedback from the first episode and you yeah. see some of that reaction a little bit. Like the the first three episodes are too soon, but by the fourth episode on, they're to some degree pivoting to react to feedback. And one of the things they do is that the teacher, while he is torturing you, is making fun of you for using your, like for your selfie language and everything. And is like a weird <laughs> insert for the criticism of the gamers. But it's funny but that they hear criticism it, come from the bad guy. Yeah! <laughs> to come from the sociopath I'm like fuck this game fuck it fuck it and it's so pretty and so like uh uh I'm glad you had a good time (laughs) fuck life is strange ugh Bill tell me about Undertale Undertale is the opposite of life is strange that is it is fucking awesome um, I, 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 I still love the fact that I'm like, hey, Annie, you should play this game Undertale. And you're like, motherfucker, I was playing that and I heard about this game long before you did, you son of a bitch. <laughs> um, Undertale is one of, is, is, is probably the best game I've played, uh, uh, all of 2015. Um, it's hard to talk about the game without making it sound like, it's it's just good because it makes a lot of just like internet meme humor jokes or just because it's like or or, or like a lot it, it's easy to make it sound like people just love it just because it's also riffing off of old like 16-bit jrpgs and stuff because uh-huh. that's kind of the format of the game but um you you only played like what like half an hour an hour of the game I played about an hour and a half yeah it's interesting because a lot of people seem to have like even I did I I almost gave up on the game but about there was about like I it got to the point where I got to you're playing the game uh you're just kind of walking around in an, an entirely empty world for the first 90 minutes kind of doing these super rudimentary like switch puzzles and stuff uh-huh. not talking to any characters except for this uh goat lady who's trying to mother you and it is boring as shit um the game means well and it's interesting to find out more about the development history of this game so the first like two hours of the game was a chunk that was thrown together by the creator uh i guess this game was kickstarted and yeah. part of the uh kickstarter thing was hey if you you know donate at a certain point i'll we'll, we'll craft a demo for you to play or at least you know this will be the play- first playable chunk of the game and so i guess this first part of the game was made like two years before the rest of the game was and it really shows because there is a split once you leave toriel's house the main first i spoilers for undertale we're just talking about the first 90 minutes which is the most boring part of the game which really almost has nothing to do with the rest of the game is even from a gameplay perspective uh once you leave toriel's house the game really does kick in you start meeting more characters and undertale proper the 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 bits that everyone's been freaking out about that's when it kicks in and actually the game does get good Uh but what happened was i got about i got to like the last two hours of the game got to a boss battle that i could not beat um 
it's interesting because so this is like it's a role playing game except instead of being turn based battles like in Final Fantasy, uh, you're playing these little. It's essentially like WarriorWare micro games uh, in combat where you, your character is represented by like, this little heart that's having right. shit thrown at it, and you have to avoid. And depending on which battle it is, you have to do different things. Sometimes you have to avoid this or do some kind of like. Uh, almost like DDR music beat matching stuff. Uh, it, 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 it's, it, that's one of the best parts of the game is the fact that the battle mechanic in every fight is, is, is fundamentally different. And But I did get to the point where I'm fighting a, a boss named Muffet who kicked the shit out of me. And it sounds yeah. like if I had... There's a part of the game where um, there are spiders in the game. <laughs> Not super yeah. scary spiders. They talk about spiders. Uh, I chatted. I bought. I bought some from their bake sale. Yeah, that actually helps you in this fight, which I did. But then I ate the thing that I bought from them, which oh, I no. guess it doesn't matter. But you can cut this boss fight in half just by <laughs> simply having bought something from the spider bake sale at the very beginning of the game. And I did that, but still, like, it wasn't enough to, for me. I could get through this boss fight. I wish the hell there was an easy narrative mode to this game because yeah. this, at a certain point. Um, the game, I just wanted to see what was happening to the characters because the characters in this game were so great. So the, what the basic yeah, that's, guts... that's part of why I stopped playing it is the bullet hell stuff was not fun to me. Yeah, and I even sent a tweet off to Toby Fox saying, hey, you know, I don't know if you're ever going to read this or if you ever take uh, feedback about this, but I would really, pre- me myself, I would really appreciate if you could put out like some kind of difficulty patch for this game where... Um. Yeah. You where you could. I mean, it would you know be nice to still be able to do the combat and stuff, but do something where if you just want to play the game for the story, you could because yeah. And I've heard this from other people too, where they also got especially with me because uh the big thing in the game in Undertale is that uh you're actually kind of the one thing that got me playing this game more than anything else was that I heard that you can get through the whole game without killing anybody, and that's I love that in video games. And finding out the game was relatively cheap, I wanted to do that. And that's what kind of squashed my nuts towards the end of the game was uh, because I hadn't killed anybody, I had never leveled up, so I had still had barely any health by the end of the game, which uh, does not necessarily make the minigames like, harder, but it does make it so that like you can take far less hits than you normally would have would if you if you're playing the game normally. And so it got to the point where I was doing what was already a pretty tough boss battle and it could only take like one two hits before I died. Yeah. And so I said, finally said, fine, fuck it. I'm right at. I know I'm right at the end of the game. I'll just watch the ending of the rest of the game on YouTube. And especially by that end of the game, there's no really no narrative branching paths or anything like. It's pretty linear, so I could just like fire up the last two hours on YouTube, and I did. And so I technically did not beat Undertale, but I have seen uh, the pacifist ending and. Uh, just seeing what actually it kind of kills me too because the end boss battle of that game looks nuts and some of the mechanics and how some of the other characters play into that just it's seems really fucking unique uh, the yeah. whole the whole crux of the game is it's uh, the story is stone simple uh, the game takes place in a world where humans and monsters have had a falling out uh, there was a battle a long time ago where the monsters were driven underground and locked underground by the humans and so all, all monsters live underground be, uh, beneath this little barrier uh, that they can't escape from, and you would play as a human uh, human child who is falling through a hole into this monster underground, and now you're trying to get out of there. And so everyone you're talking to is a monster living underground who wants to one day try, they're hoping that someday they can uh, get out of the underground and live along, not even necessarily live among humans, but just live above ground someday. And so the story is, yeah, that... that it goes to some interesting places, especially since the ending changes wildly depending on whether or not you play normally. You know, you could decide to 
kill some people, maybe you might some spare some people. Uh, there's, you know, there's also an entirely different ending if you decide to, you know, do pacifist run and not kill anyone, which that does seem to be the, what the real ending of the game is. And uh-huh. you can also go on a genocide run, which is in which you just kill everyone. And that, the actual, the ending boss is completely different. The story completely changes. One of the best things is that the game is set up so... Uh, it will detect your it'll, it. The game will remember your choices uh, between different games you've played. So if you've if you've done a genocide run, uh, and then come back and play, try to pay, pay a pacifist run. There's a couple characters remember that you've already played a version of this game where you've killed everyone, and they'll call you out on it. Really? Um, Daniel was talking about how um, there. So in this first the 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 first act of this game, the first hour and a half ends with uh, you're this little kid who's fallen into this underground and you're taken in by this you know the, who I was talking about this little motherly goat lady named Toriel, and there's a certain point in the game where your character decides like I want to leave I can't stay here with you forever I need to get out of here and I need to go back up I need to try to get out of here and get back to my family, and she's like no I don't I want you to stay you're just gonna get hurt if you leave. And it starts this, like, confrontation with her where you can, I guess, kill her. Uh, you can talk, if you're doing a pacifist run, you can just talk your way out of the situation and she'll let you go and leave her house and you continue on the game. Or you could actually physically fight her and kill her. And I think Daniel was saying that he actually did kill her and he felt so bad that he didn't want to continue the game. So he restarted the whole game and came uh-huh. back and started doing a pacifist run. And a character came out and said, hey, so, I guess you must you must have felt really bad about killing her. <laughs> but we'll let you start this game over again and so uh, just like that kind of self-awareness from the game was kind of cool uh yeah i had not seen that but that's what daniel said that happened to him i thought well shit that's kind of fucked up um yeah and so just like little huh. things like that and like i said the characters are great uh fucking oh my god undyne and alphys there's there's you essentially meet about like six or seven really great characters and they all become your buddies throughout the game well assuming you're playing pacifist run and you don't kill anyone and the fact that you've actually gone out of your way to befriend everybody at the end of the game actually plays into this into the ending and into the plot and it's one of the best casts i've ever seen a video game of characters i don't want to oversell it or anything like that but because this it's also just a such a small gentle game undertale uh-huh. does not benefit from being oversold because part of the appeal of the game is just kind of discovering things on your own and kind of meeting characters without too much expectations because it's it's a good game, but it's not like the end-all and be-all of video games. But it is, it is... I really liked it, though. Undertale, thumbs up. It's a good time. <laughs> I'm glad yeah. you had a good time with it, my friend. Yeah, and it seems like a lot of people are stalling out in the first hour or two, and that's... if I'm saying if you can get past that and get, like, the first town... Is it Snowden? It's like a little snowy town? If you can at least get there, that's yeah. when the game starts to pick up. Yeah, um, I, I got as far as, like, I'm on the outskirts of Snowden before I peaced out. <laughs> yeah, and again, I wish... Yeah, especially if you're doing a pacifist run, I wish there was a way they can you can just, like, just put on an easy mode, baby mode, and just, like, you can maybe still do the boss fights, but just make it so you, you're just more worried about just talking to people rather than, like, fighting them and stuff. But yeah. anyway, it's, it's still really good, though. And at the very least, <laughs> watch up a bunch of pass... Watch some pacifist uh, walkthroughs on YouTube. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you maybe because the characters are so richly written, and at a certain point, it gets it's it's kind of linear enough anyway. You you're essentially playing a really funny cartoon in video game format. Sure, so you could yeah. just like watch it on YouTube, like you know, it's like five hours of your life, but you're essentially watching a five hour long, you know, like cartoon series at that point. But yeah, Undertale, huh. yeah, thumbs up. I really like that. Oh, thing. I'm glad really you good. kind of you beat it ish. Yeah, beat it ish. <laughs> but yeah, those characters fucking. All the care, even the main big boss of the game is really interesting. 
Like, you think it's going to be this big evil monster guy, but he's actually, there's shit going on. It's, fuck, yeah, there's some moments, <laughs> fucking Sans talking to you and shit and, Ah, yeah. Anyway, there's a reason why that game's being very meme It's you know, it's the Steven Universe of video games. Oh, yeah. That's actually a very apt metaphor, yeah. And both, I, like, it's, again, not not served well by being oversold and it does have, like, a now frothing fan base, which is kind of super insular and kind of, like, freaking people out. But it's, there's still something where, you know, it's still... There's still something about the thing that everyone's freaking out that that's... that's that's worth seeking out, but you might want to avoid the fandom around it, though, I if you gotcha. want to really enjoy the thing in question. But yeah, huh. so anyway, yeah. Huh. Monkey butt. Well, Bill, I know you saw some other movies this week, but do you want to push on to the Geek Week interview? Oh, yeah. Oh, I just wanted to mention for, uh, uh, oh, we, okay, we got about 45 minutes to wrap this up. Uh, yeah, uh, for Tardy of the Party podcast, in the last uh, week or two, I've had to watch Lion in Winter, Return to Oz, and Muppet Treasure Island for the first time. Um, Wait, hold on. You've never seen Muppet Treasure Island or Return to Oz before? Uh, well, no, Daniel watched Return Oh, that's right. No, Daniel, I had seen Return to Oz before. Daniel hadn't. Wait, you had never seen Muppet Treasure Island? No, that's all I said. The, uh, our episode this week, as we record this, that's our, our most recent episode that's gone live is Muppet Treasure Island. That's one of my favorite Muppet movies. Well, fire that episode up. Do you get to hear <laughs> Spoilers, Annie. We both kind of liked it. Okay, good. <laughs> Because if you did it, that would be the sunrits of our friendship. And there was a lot say. of us kind of going like, when's Miss Piggy going to show? Wait, what? <laughs> and I was like, my, oh, yeah. Tim Curry, he's so funny. He like a living Muppet. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I got to see Lion in Winter for the first time. Uh, Daniel didn't care much for that, but I really like that. Uh, that's going to be our next episode that goes live uh, on this this upcoming Wednesday. Uh, Lion in Winter is really good. It's a fucking amazing movie. That's uh, been has been our Thanksgiving movie for the last couple of years. That's a Thanksgiving movie. That's funny because that movie well, is all about. Oh man, that it is. But it's also up. it's a it's a Christmas movie. But it's also about um, it's about you know, family. family family getting together and shouting at each other before they have to separate again. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's if you love Arrested Development, you'll love a lion. Yes. Hunter. Yeah, Lion and Winter, we, we 100%, that has been a meme in our household, is that Lion and Winter is arrested. Well, that's what I mentioned in the podcast, how, like, the middle son, Jeffrey, should be walking around with a shirt that says slut on it. <laughs> um, and then Return to Oz, we talked about, which uh, Daniel, eh, we thought that was pretty good, too. But yeah, everyone knows about Return to Oz. It's, it's fucking scary. wheelers. Those fucking wheelers. Yeah, God damn and Mombi, she got separate heads, and they're scary and stuff like that. So yeah, that's that's I had to watch that stuff. But, so yeah, uh, Muppet Treasure Island is our most recent episode. Lion in Winter and Return to Oz are coming up. So. And that's at tardypodcast.com, the Tardy to the Party podcast. Yes. All right, pals, we're going to take a little break, and we'll be back for the Geek Week in Review. pals now it's time for the geek week interview as you all know this is the part of our podcast where bill has observed news in the week that was and i am reading his notes often for the first time uh let's see the royal mint has introduced two new coins for great britain a two pound coin to celebrate the 400th anniversary of shakespeare's death and a 50 pence coin to celebrate excuse me to celebrate the beatrix potter's 150th birthday I thought that was just cool, especially the Shakespeare one. I got skull. More yeah. money needs skulls on it. Also, yeah. there's a dagger on the back. And also just Beatrix Potter. She got like a little... It's cool because it got like... It's it's just... It's got her silhouette and it's got a bunny and it's got her name. And the queen looking old on the other side, which I'm surprised they let the she lets them do that. But that's a thing. And uh, 
Yeah, no, it's fucking That Shakespeare cool. coin is pretty classy, I gotta say. Well, it lo- kind of looks like the, um, what's what's the Canadian double coin? Because it's essentially kind of that where it's got, like a coin nest- nested within a coin. It's a silver silver coin nested yeah. within a golden one. But yeah, with, yeah. oh, that's, uh, yeah, cool. if anyone can mail me <laughs> like a Shakespeare <laughs> British coin, that would be awesome. We have some awesome. friends in the UK, Bill. I think we can make that happen. Yeah, no, that also reminds me how much more interesting money is anywhere in the world except the United States. Christ almighty. <laughs> Um, uh, in other news, this person finally managed to cook up a not terrible Lego Millennium Falcon. And also, Bill just realized what a terrible Damn. radio <laughs> segment this is going to make. Somebody just made a really good, uh, pretty much to scale Millennium Falcon. That's it. Really Damn. is truly uh, to scale with um, uh, all the minifigures. Uh, this person also uh, has done a bunch of Wild West stuff, which I guess Annie has seen because I forwarded this guy's uh, Flickr gallery to her, and she was like, "Oh yeah, I've seen that shit before, but I haven't seen it in this close up." Uh, maybe I'll uh, post a link into the show notes for this guy's. Uh, yeah, this Flickr guy gallery. Marshall Banana is legit. Yeah, Marshall yeah. Banana on Flickr, he knows what he's doing. Whoever, whoever it is, Marshall Banana could be anyone, but yeah, yeah. I made friends in line at the Lego store waiting for new Lego sets with this guy, and he was really. It made me think of you, Bill, because he was like, "Yeah, I'm holding out for Lego to do like a." Re- Real Millennium Falcon, like a good one. I'm you know like, what? Yeah. With Star, I think it's pretty much inevitable at this point because, like, it, I, like you know, uh, in fact, actually, the Ghostbusters Firehouse may be their attempt to see will, will people pay for a three hundred fifty dollar license thing. And once that's proven out, they'll be like, okay, here's your fucking five hundred dollar Millennium Falcon. That's essentially like what this guy built. Um, Man, it's so. crazy. This this piece is seventy five hundred pieces. That's nuts. Which, yeah, that's that's about another third beyond what the Lego Firehouse is. And they they, I mean, they could knock something. Yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. But that's crazy. It looks really, yeah. And he's also done some Cowboy Bebop stuff. And but his Wild West stuff is really cool. Yeah, his little stagecoach. Yeah, yeah. Annie, you yeah. need to have like a little Model T in your town. <laughs> Uh, uh, Motorhead's Let Me Kill My Stir was, was, as is inevitable for us all, I guess, killed by death. Yeah, so sad. He'd been sick for a while, but now he just finally croaked. Uh, Annie, have you ever heard of much Motorhead or anything? I mean, I'm, I know of Motorhead. I don't own any albums. I've you've heard, I've heard of Ace, their songs. You've heard but... of, not Ace of Bass. Ace of Spades. Ace of Spades, of Ace course. Ace of Spades. Yeah. yeah, let me kill my story. He'd been sick for the last couple of years, and everyone was worried that he was dying, but I don't think anyone realized he was, like, dying, dying. Even him. So I guess this is kind of crazy. So the day after Christmas, he went to the doctors, got diagnosed with cancer, and died in his sleep two days later. Huh. Um... He was up and around and walking for a couple days before he, like, he went, like, before he died. He, like, I think, like, like was it, like, a week? Was it a week before his birthday? There was a whole... Oh, no, so his 70th birthday was, like, the day before Christmas. He went to the doctors, got diagnosed with terminal cancer the day after Christmas. And so, like, a week before that happened, like, I guess in Hollywood, uh, they had a big uh, tribute concert to him. And they said he looked pretty fucked up. He wasn't walking around or anything like that. But he no one expected that he would be dead within a week. Uh, but, yeah, so he got diagnosed and went home, uh, went to bed, and never woke up. And so, which, considering... Uh, how he was 70 years old and he should have been dead 30 or 40 years ago because uh, he was famous for uh, his big shtick was that he's up until just a couple years ago, he still drank a bottle of Jack Daniels a day. And Jesus. even up until last week, he was still taking speed every day. 
Jesus. So everyone's kind of like, oh, so sad Lemmy's dead. We can't believe he made it this long. <laughs> so, yeah, it sucks that he's dead, but it's it's it, it, everyone should be celebrating the fact that he even made it to his 70th birthday. And uh, so, yeah, good on him. He he was he sounds like he was a goofy, very goofy man, but everyone loved him to death. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he was beloved. Benedict Cumberbatch as Doctor Strange looks ridiculously silly in a good way. Notes yeah, both. I don't know anything about Doctor Strange. Do you care about Doctor Strange at all, Annie? Man, I am so done with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Really? I, oh, no. Yeah. I one Yeah? Over uh, the holidays, I did watch Ant-Man with my sister and my brother-in-law. That bad, and that huh? was like... Well, it was just really not good. And it was uh, poor Peyton Reed, the director, who did Down With Love, one of my favorite movies. Yeah. Uh, was doing his best Edgar Wright impression. Yeah, which that, that movie... was supposed to be his shtick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it is hard to do an Edgar Wright impression well. I felt bad for him, honestly, because if yeah, that was kind Edgar of his Wright marching is such orders... a very specific voice. It's hard yeah. to replicate that, yeah. I, I watched Hot Fuzz with my parents shortly afterwards, and it was just like a sharp, uh-huh. like, contrast yeah. sort of thing. So, yeah, I don't know. You know what? The Marvel Cinematic movies aren't for me, and that's okay. Yeah. That's okay. I just, I just like the, what they did with the, his hair, because they gave him, like, the graying, like, sides, and, like, he's got floppy mop top. Benedict Cumberbatch? Yeah. yeah, he looks... That's what Doctor Strange looks yeah, like Yeah, and they, they let him have, like, the high-colored cloak and everything like that. Because, yeah. like, that's one of the things I was kind of curious about, because, you know, the whole shtick about the horror Marvel Universe, Marvel Cinematic Universe, is, like, they're taking the basic comic book designs, but trying to, like, realistic them up. And I was kind of wondering, because Doctor Strange, he's dressed in tight little pants with a giant cape with, like, you know, giant cuffs and everything like that, and it looks like they actually kept that for the movie, so... Well, yeah, my, my vague familiarity with Marvel stuff, and this is not... Don't quote me on this but it's, he's actually a magic user it's yeah. not like s- science or mutation or even like a magic object he is a ma- magician yeah it's not or, like he's you know? got like spider-man's like robotic shit in his hands where he's like pretending it's magic but he has to go home and like fix his, his equipment no he's got like magic stones and he's casting spells he's harry potter with a grudge yeah <laughs> Uh, yeah. interesting. Well, I mean, I guess that makes him kind of in the same vein of Thor, where Thor is a magic god. But it'll be interesting. Yeah, but yeah. Thor is Thor is like from magic lands, you know. Yeah. And that's what I'm kind of wondering what they're going to do yeah. with this movie, not to piss off the Bible Belt, because it's a magic. Even on the cover of the Entertainment Weekly, he's got like he's holding up like a fiery spell thing that says god isn't real <laughs> um yeah uh-huh. i don't know we'll see what happens the devil the devil yeah, the, the, the devil the devil six six is awesome <laughs> uh, yeah. anyway. uh the most important news this week is that uh Dra- uh dark horse announced their free comic book day uh contribution this year will be a legend of Korra book written by the creators and illustrated by heather campbell aka buttface mccaney this is proof positive <laughs> that sometimes the universe works in harmony like it works the way it should. It doesn't do it very often, but we've been saying for years that if there was a just God, Buttface McKinney should be doing at least some kind of official Cora comic book, and it sounds like she's at least doing a free comic book day strip. Yeah, McKinney um, works at Valve, and she she does all the illustrations for their um all the Team Fortress comics. What's they her real name? Out. Heather Campbell. Heather Campbell. I still just name. I she'll always be Buttface McKinney. If she wins an I think that if, was. That was her live journal name. I don't even think that's her Tumblr name. I, exactly. I think she's tried to ditch that. And still, you got people like me going, I love Buttface McKinney. <laughs> oh. Be careful of your branding, kids. She is one so of the best cartoonists it. alive, though. She's, she's yeah. a man. She's, she's just, so expressive. She draws great, but also she's just fucking hilarious. She knows her yeah. way around a joke. Um, Man, she should be. Goddamn. 
I, yeah, I just want to see more comics out of her because because she because she works at Valve, she it doesn't seem like she really gets a chance to do anything that's not like Team Fortress comics anymore. Yeah. It's not necessarily inherently bad, but yeah. yeah I was gonna say, dude, if you want to see her comics, she's got hundreds of pages online. Yeah, this they're is, still out there. Yeah, they're just they're all new stuff, but they're just all Team Fortress. <laughs> yeah, she designed. Well, I remember that was a bigger thing, saying, "Oh, she designed." Uh, the announcer in Team Fortress, but that was before she even got hired by Valve. She's just yeah, I love that that kind of got her her job. A, yeah, her yeah. fan art became canonical design for stuff, and then they said, "Oh, fine, fuck it, we'll just hire you." All right. So uh, anyway, yeah. Uh, there was internet kerfuffle this week over George Lucas equating Disney to white slavers in regards to how they've been treating Star Wars. I'm presuming this is a Bill joke. Lucas doubled <laughs> down on this by waving a gun at the San Paolo premiere of The Force Awakens. How do you know? This is, you, you, I you, don't. You're out of town. I trusted you. You don't know what was going on. George Lucas, he got problems. <laughs> so, so yeah, yeah. I missed. I missed what he what he said. How did he say that they were like white? Oh slaves? no, he just had an interview with uh, was it Charlie Rose? Yeah, didn't he say that to Charlie Rose's face? Which is a hell of a thing to say. Why? What does Charlie Rose come from? A slaver family? Well, no. Charlie Rose is African American. What? Isn't he? Am I going Charlie crazy? Ro- Wait, uh, am, am I, I am or am I, I confusing right it? Am I confusing we it? We are with not another talking about the PBS same human being. Okay, Charlie. No, Charlie Rose is like the oldest, whitest guy there is. Oh no, you're right. What show am I confusing it with on PBS? Okay, really? Is there a black interview guy on PBS? Which that inf- in, yeah, that of itself is news to me. Who am I thinking of? PBS black uh, guy. Oh, Bill. I regret having this conversation. Okay, anyway, so yeah, what did he say? He said, so, how did he equate they it just, to... Charlie Rose, he, which he's... Lucas has said this a couple times now, where he does not necessarily dislike The Force Awakens, but he is kind of disappointed that uh, the movie seems to be leaning so hard on nostalgia. Um, yeah. And Charlie Rose was like, well, how do you feel about that? And George Lucas was like, well, I, I, I sold away my stuff. It's kind of like what happens when you sell your kids away to, like, white slavers or something like that. He was, he was just, oh. like, speaking off the top of his head. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah that's something that we can, all, can, we can all relate to. You know? I know, exactly. Well, yeah, I think that's I about as George relatable Lucas, as saying like, I sold said, my yeah, ideas. Stupid. I didn't mean to, like, I, but I, I, you understand what George is talking about, even if he did come out and be like, yeah, that I, I put that the wrong way. I didn't mean it, like, white, like, yeah. you know. My, my billion dollar <laughs> fake billion fantasy dollar franchise is not, I'm not equating that to, like, the pain of black slavery, but he's just saying, like, you, I did sell my baby, essentially, yeah. That's what he was trying to say, but, yeah, it just came out a little bit, yeah. Yeah, uh, he yeah, said Misa. Sorry, I read. I read a lot of uh, some pull quotes from this interview, and he said something along the lines of, "He's like, you know, he, he basically said, you can no. I know a lot of people didn't like the prequels, but at least I was trying to do something different." Yeah, you know. Um, Conley took issue with the fact that he was well, very specifically in that interview too. He talks about how Star Wars is a story of family. It's about sons and fathers and grandfathers, and like a, it's a family. He does make it sound like it's about boys too, which yeah. is kind of like he yeah. kind of like kind of put his foot a little in his mouth a little bit there too, yeah. which is unfortunate because he's like he's saying that in a way where he's also disparaging a movie where like a lady is the star of the movie, which yeah. kind of which again that's not his. I, I his point is that he like it sounds like his original. Would have focused more on like the family of the kids of the Skywalkers rather than having like the because he keeps on he 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 has this coded way. He's like it's this this movie is more about spaceships than it is about family. I think he's more wound up by the fact by about the fact that they like spend so much time like f- freaking out about the Millennium Falcon in that movie. Oh sure, which yeah. again that's but it's again you understand what he's saying, but the way he's saying it, he he, he does sound a little bit 
yeah, it's coming across the. Wrong I mean, way. that movie had more dialogue about Chewie's bowcaster than it did exactly, about you yeah. know, uh, which is funny because we haven't actually ta- you. We've both seen Star Wars now. We haven't had a, haven't actually talked about it yet. Well, uh, I mean, we talked about it in the last episode, did we? Had yeah, you we seen had, it? remember we no, had, had I, we had Hannah Groff on and we talked about it. Oh, that's at right. length. Oh, okay. <laughs> Star Wars. W- and okay. over the course of and over this course of our conversation, the more we talked about it, the more I realized I did like it. Even though at first I was really frustrated by it, what that was our frust- dialogue. Wait, how? So how did your uh, frustrations get smoothed over? Uh, well, no, I mean it, we because when I left that movie, my honestly my issues were George Lucas's, where I felt like it was um, a lot of them uh, just giving a big sloppy blowjob to Star Wars fans and saying, yeah. no, 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 this isn't like the prequels. See, we have the Millennium Falcon, and here's Han Solo, and remember this, remember this. Yeah, uh, it's remember like this? it's like the yeah. That oh, that's right. We thing. did have this whole conversation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, having, well, that's but that was your feeling uh, two weeks ago. So you've kind of softened on that a little bit. Well, I mean, ultimately, there are a lot of things I liked in it, I, but I, I think my my opinion is more. I'm curious about the next one. Exactly. You know, because yeah. uh, like, I felt I hope they can move beyond just illusion and reference and do something new. It so kind of curious because like Larry Kasdan, who you know he wrote The Empire Strikes Back and he co-wrote uh, Return of the Jedi and he co-wrote the The Force Awakens. He's come out uh, in the last week or two and said, "Yeah, no, Ryan Johnson's script for the next one. It's really weird. There's shit going on in this movie you've never seen in a Star Wars movie before." That's so, what I went to hear and yeah. which uh kasdan has been pretty much off brand with a lot of his interviews <laughs> so it doesn't sound like he's saying that just to assuage people's fears if he's saying that it sounds like that's an honest opinion so we'll see what happens in the in the yeah. next movie but yeah, yeah. Um, oh ryan johnson wrote it is writing the next script too oh yeah no he wrote he wrote and he, this is the first time someone's huh. written and directed a star wars movie since george lucas did the prequels Interesting. which is not saying much because there's only been one movie since then that, that was going to sound more impressive <laughs> uh in my mind than than it did out loud but yeah no and yeah so ryan johnson is writing and directing the next one and uh he's at least writing the first draft of the of the ninth movie the last movie interesting so, well you know we'll what's funny what is i've i've always said that i love ryan johnson's movies but i always wondered what a ryan johnson movie would be like with a female protagonist and i never thought i would get one in a star Wars. Uh, she's gonna be skateboarding and taking photos through uh watermelon <laughs> and yeah we'll see yeah um, let's see what else going on. Uh, Studio Ghibli's Only Yesterday got its first English language I guess teaser. you didn't get a chance to see this yet? I did. I've not heard about this. You don't care about this. I don't know if you want to watch it now or you could just bluff right over it. Go blah, blah, Bill, blah, blah, blah. no, tell me, what are your thoughts? I don't know what Only Yesterday is. Oh, so Only Yesterday is the, it's not a Miyazaki movie, even though it is a Studio Ghibli movie. It's directed by, uh, Zao Takahata, who's the same guy who did, uh, Grave of the Fireflies. Um, this is... I know a lot of people, this is actually their favorite Studio Ghibli movie. It's the one Studio Ghibli movie where there was, there was absolutely no fantasy elements. I, I swear to, I've talked about this multiple times in the podcast before. Oh, I think, I think you have mentioned it. Yeah, yeah, yeah this yeah. is um, this is the one that's about an older Japanese lady, which is funny because my recollections, I thought she was at least in her mid-30s. In the trailer, she's like, I think she's on the phone. The, so, like, the trailer came out for the first English, the first English language trailer for this movie came out. And it's her mom talking to her on the phone saying, you're an old lady. You're 27. You need to find love uh, where you can. And I was like, wait, is that uh-huh. character really just 27? Um, but the main character is voiced by Daisy Ridley. Uh-huh. Um, and, yeah, it's a story about a Japanese office worker uh, in the mid-'80s who decides to, like, on a month-long vacation in the middle of summer, just goes out to a, a, a farm just to kind of get her shit together. And while she's on vacation, she has, just has recollections about her youth. 
and she just kind of like she's just trying to figure out what's what's gone wrong in her life because she was such a precocious youth but now as like like a 30 year old woman she's like lost some of that spark and she's trying to figure out what happened with her life and it's just uh-huh. about a, it's just about a late, late like a 30 year old later like trying mentally trying to get her shit together a little bit no particular reason huh. like she's suffered any big trauma but she's just like like my life just doesn't have that spark and, and that's who the hell's gonna make an animated movie about that? But Studio Ghibli yeah. did, and that's and like that's, that's this really is cool. Joshin's favorite Studio Ghibli movie, just because it's huh. about people more than any kind of fantasy weird shit or anything yeah. like that. And that's es- cool, especially just being about a random Japanese lady, yeah, who doesn't have any particular damage or anything like that. But she's just, I'm older now, and I and and I just I she's trying to get her life into perspective, and that's it. So interesting. Okay, but it is. Yeah, I'll, I'll go see that. Yeah, welcome to an hour and a half of like animated. Uh, thirty-year-old women picking fruit uh, on a farm, and then flashing back to when she was twelve, and how the first time she had tasted pineapple—that kind that of sounds, movie. Yeah, I, I don't know. That's a, I'll, I'll go. No, I'm not saying it's bad. That for a dollar. But when you're pitching it to somebody, like this yeah. is a good movie. This lady eats pineapple. <laughs> you know, it's like okay. Though I, I do love their like their the like you know as a in media like if you're over 27 years old you may as well be dead so it's interesting that you what? you perceived her to be older than she was oh, that's one thing because not even like 35 makes you old but like in my memory yeah. i thought she was at least in her mid-30s and like look at yeah. the trailer she's like you're 27 I'm like the old the quote-unquote old lady in this thing is only 27 i'm like oh my god so yeah that's even worse uh- Jason Wingreen, the original guy who voiced Boba Fett, died on Christmas Day. He was 95 years old. Yeah, just, uh, yeah, this is the guy who, uh, did the voice of Boba Fett before he got replaced by the Maori guy, uh, who, when they changed Boba Fett's backstory, so he's just, like, a Kiwi clone. Uh, this is the original guy, so, who had the early grace, like, he's no good to me, dead. He had a really yeah. great clipped, like, gravelly voice. The voice yeah. of Boba Fett was fucking awesome, but he dead now, because everyone's dying, because that movie was made 800 years ago. <laughs> um, Alien Covenant, question mark, will be set 10 years after Prometheus. Wait a minute, they're calling the Prometheus sequel Alien Covenant? That's why I put the question mark, because, like, people were talking about that, and I was like, oh, that's weird. And I was like, wait, th- this, that's the name of the Prometheus sequel? And I was like, oh, yeah, I guess... You Are they re- retroactively calling Prometheus Alien colon you Prometheus? You think they would have to because it's so weird because like that's going to be – especially because they're talking about making two sequels to Prometheus. So I'm assuming – yeah, you can't have like a box cell, DVD box shelf on your shelf that says Prometheus Alien Covenant and then Alien Monkey Pants. They're like from, Even from a branding perspective, it doesn't make any sense. Anyway, Bill also notes it will barely feature Numi, Numi Rumi Mara Rapace. Whatever her name was. Numi, Numi, Numi. Damn it! Now I can't remember. <laughs> what did you do to me? It's not Rumi Mara or Numi Rapace, isn't it? Oh fuck! What's her name? Now you, now you fucked me up. While dude. we're learning, is that Hollywood Rapace. has to stop hiring actors and actresses that sound like Star Wars characters. Numi Rapace. No more yes. Benedict Cumberbatch. No more Numi I, Rapace. Man, that sucks. The the only part of that, the, like my favorite part of that well, movie that's, was that's the news. Numi yeah. Rapace with an axe. Supposedly, like the, the big connective tissue is supposed to be uh, Michael Fassbender's robot character. Not, of course, it is. Which how? Well, I, I guess they're saying that the 10 years after Prometheus thing will somehow be, like, that will justify why Numi Rapace is, is no longer around, or if she's just going to show up, like, but she, they sure. were setting well, out only one of those two people character of that series. Like, what the hell only, happened? 
Yeah, only one of those two people needs food and oxygen. Exactly. So she's either dead or she got prematurely aged or something. But, like, um, Michael Fassbender's character wasn't bad, but, like... New Meteor Pace is the interesting part of that movie. Yeah. Because, like, like, the original Alien and Prometheus, what they shared was a, 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 a woman who was going to survive no matter what. You know? Yeah, well, there's and the that's... gender thing, like, the whole, like, well, yeah, it sucks that you're automatically ejecting the female lead of this franchise. And also, just from a narrative, regardless of the gender or any kind of, like, social politics, she's the main, like, what? Like, there's no, yeah. yeah. Oh, Fuck boy. You. Oh, Man. boy. Fuck that. Man, what, 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 what you thinking, uh, what's his butt who directed that movie who he used to respect and still kind of do? What's his name? I, I Dude, feel... But. Now, now he. I mean, oh God! Out. I, I, I'm almost kind of surprised he's going through with these alien movies now that The Martian was a hit. Because you think now he's like, well, now I'm actually respected again, so I don't have to keep on like sucking up to these science fiction fanboys. Fuck this shit. <laughs> I, I don't know. So. Is he still working on the Blade Runner sequel? He's been talking That's about it what for he's years. Been threatening, I think, like two weeks ago, was confirmed that Ryan Gosling is supposed to be the lead at least or something, and. Uh, crazy, crazy. In better news, uh, the first Moana footage was released. Uh, did you happen to see this? It's just like I, two seconds of just. I saw footage. animated gifs of it on Tumblr, so exactly. I'm that's all you I got the salient. Uh, I remember uh, Claire Hummel was kind of grumpy about how, um, of course, the girl just looks like a girl who's just you know kind of like nice and like oh I'm, I'm I've got except now I'm browner than normal Disney princesses, uh, and that's the uh, demigod Maui is the only character who seems to be allowed to be kind of, like, goofy and crazy and kind of look like like a goofball. Um, but it does look cool. I like the animation for uh, the character Maui, uh, voiced by uh, Fast and Furious. Um, <laughs> it does look cool. He's got all the D- tattoos. He's Dwayne like, the Rock Johnson? Yeah, he actually does look like a real Maori person. It is like my, they kind my of boyfriend, the, Dwayne? Yeah, he's kind of goofy looking. I like that. He, it's cool. I love, I, like I love the Rock. Yeah, he's a, I, I'm curious to hear how he is as a voice actor, because he does have such a distinctive voice. Yeah. It'll I saw there was a, on Reddit going around, there was an Imgur gallery, uh, Imgur or whatever the fuck it's called, of like, you know, just photos of celebrities when they were younger, and there was a photo <laughs> of The Rock when he was 15 in his bedroom. And it's great because he's so gawky because, like, he's starting to get his rock shoulders, but the rest of him is still, like, like 12-year-old rock. Early pictures of The Rock are the greatest. There's one where he's wearing a black turtleneck sweater and, like, a gold chain oh, and yeah, jeans that thing, yeah. and a fanny pack. So good. There's, like, a prom photo or something where he's got, like, a shitty little teen stash. <laughs> exactly, it's so yeah. good. I love The Rock. He had I love phases. The Rock. Um, yeah. Uh, oh, The Rock. Um, uh, Uncharted 4 is going to have a new componer, composer, Henry Jackman. No word on why Greg Edmondson didn't come back to store the game. Oh, uh, yeah. That's really weird. That, that Man, news just this broke fucking that game. Uh-huh. This fucking game. It sounds cursed. Like, they've lost half the creative team. They got pushed back. I'm surprised you didn't put this in the news. It got delayed again. They could push it back another month. Uh-huh. Uh, it's just like, man, I, I feel so conflicted about this game. Because it's just... I, I'm kind of really surprised because the internet... The general internet attitude I've seen from people about this game, too, is, like, most people don't even care about this game. At least in terms of, like, everyone's like, well, Uncharted, like, 
Everyone seemed to have their fill after Uncharted 2, at least online, from the from like you know look, looking at NeoGaf and other like online forums and even listening to podcasts. I'm really kind of like because I'd be down if Uncharted like I I could be down for another Uncharted 4. Uncharted 3 wasn't actually that great compared to the other games in the series. I think a lot of people but, were like you, or they were kind of burned by Uncharted 3. Yeah, and, and I'm kind of surprised because like I'm used to you loving Uncharted, and I'm kind of the one who's kind of ambivalent about Uncharted since uh, 3. But compared to everyone else in the world, I'm like the Annie Maloney where I'm like, yeah, I'd like to play another <laughs> Uncharted. And See, my shit. thing is, is that I'm I'm actually playing the continuing to play the Uncharted, the Nathan Drake collection, and playing the old ones. Mm-hmm. I really have I'm, I'm kind of thirsty for that kind of game right about now. Yeah. But um, I, as a fan, I can't help but feel so apprehensive because there's been so much attrition, and not just Amy Hennig, the creator uh, and creator director of Uncharted, left, but like like half the art team and, yeah. and half the development. Although team you can make and- the argument that Uncharted Three was so bland that they could use a shakeup. So who knows? Maybe this will yeah, be the thing. best game. You know, it's like I don't, I don't know. But on the other hand, the 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 thing that Uncharted has always suffered from is that they make a there's a set piece and then they just kind of build stuff around the exactly, set piece. Yeah. So now you have not only that history, you also have literally a new team in with half done pieces that they now have to build a new thing around. I'm you know, it's furious like, because I'm so apprehensive. Like, they've never gotten back to me about the fan fiction idea for Uncharted 5 I keep on throwing at them, which is uh, Nathan Drake gets shrunken down and he has to explore uh, Elaine's body, like, as, like, a tiny dwarf thing, but it's, like, this whole erotic, like, giantess thing that they – I even sent them concept art. And they won't. Uh, I'm mad. I'm gonna ignore all of that. I'm gonna. I'm <laughs> mad because this means that uh, uh, Neil Druckmann and Bruce Daly aren't doing what they should be doing, which is working on uh, Last of Us Two, and uh, with Ellie as the protagonist. That's, That's the point. real shame here. That could be because you know. There's, I wonder. People have pointed out maybe Gregman. It's entirely possible. Greg Edmondson just followed. Uh, what's her face? To Amy Hennig. This, yeah, Amy Hennig to work yeah. on the Star Wars game. Yeah, she took a lot of her creative team with her. Like, obviously, the most obvious example is that uh, originally uh, Troy Baker's character in Uncharted Four was played by Todd. What's his name? Todd Stanwick. Yeah. And uh, um, who uh, and Amy Hennig took him with her, and uh, he's actually one of the co-writers and implied is going to be an actor in it. And uh, that's why there's this dude who looks a lot like Todd Stanwick with Troy Baker's voice coming out of it in yeah, Uncharted Four. Yeah, yeah so I'm so apprehensive about this damn game. Like, I love Uncharted and I love naughty dog and i trust them and everything i've seen so far gets my heart in my throat in the best kind of way but i just there's just so there's clearly so much heartache and so many people who created things that i love were clearly were caused so much pain in this project that yeah. it's i can't help but cringe even thinking about I, it i can like uh, uh naughty dogs already come out and said this is gonna be the last uncharted game at least for them and i can totally see why they might be like really glad just to be done with uncharted finally and just kind of like okay let's all move on to something else that doesn't have quite such a loaded history to it and let's like let, yeah let's like really actually build something new um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So huh. anyway, um, uh, you know the other thing, like looking up Greg Edmondson's IMDb uh, profile to see if he's announced, like if if he is working on anything with Amy Hennig or anything like that. Uh, he hasn't doesn't seem like he's worked on anything for the last couple of years, so it sounds like he must be working on some kind of big secret project that he can't talk about yet. Uh, but looking at his past, uh, not only uh, uh, Greg Edmondson, the, his two big claims to fame are the fact that he's the Uncharted composer and he scored Firefly. Uh, but he wrote a music for a whole bunch of episodes of King of the Hill. 
<laughs> Which in retrospect, that totally makes sense. You know, I was like, oh my god, Greg Edmondson. And also King of the Hill's awesome. King of the Hill music is awesome. Go Greg Edmondson. That's fucking hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I'm looking forward to the uh, uh, what's the main theme of Uncharted that always plays on the, on the title screen? Da, 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 I look forward to that being played on kazoos da, da, in the new game. <laughs> Just like some da, guy whistling. Fucking Uncharted. And as we speak, this year's awesome da- games done quick steamathon has just gotten underway. This time benefiting the Preven Cancer Foundation. Uh, also, man, man, my fucking typing skills hit the shit. So I actually typed in benefarting, prevent. and uh, Google Documents kept that, but also prevent. It should be the Prevent Cancer okay. Foundation, All as right. opposed to like causing cancer foundation. Um, yeah. So awesome games done quick. Uh, we've talked about this before in the past. The there are bi was it bi yearly, biannual, twice a year, uh, thing where uh, it's it's so in the winter it's always awesome games done quick. Uh, where they do like a week long of twenty four seven streaming of uh, classic video games. Not even classic. No, I think this year they the actually the first game they started streaming with was Splatoon. Uh, but it is a lot of classical eight bit and sixteen bit stuff. But they do mix in some newer games. And uh, yeah, if you watch uh, you watch the stream, you can donate uh, uh, during the winter. It's, it's always a cancer benefit during the summer. When it's summer games done quick, it's always benefiting. Uh, uh, was it Doctors Without Borders? I think. Is and it not just speedruns? Is it just gameplay? It's 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 usually speedruns, although depending on who's playing what game. Sometimes it's like sometimes it's just one guy doing a speedrun, sometimes it'll be multiple people racing each other through a game. Well uh, that's why I'm surprised that it opened with Splatoon. Yeah, that that's the interesting thing is how quickly people can break games. Um, well, how do you speedrun Splatoon? Isn't it just There is a single player games? component. It's not really talked oh. about that much, but there is like like a four hour campaign in that game. Okay, all right, um, less confused now. And it is, some games are more easily broken than others, so sometimes it really is. You're just pretty much just watching someone play the game as fast as possible. Other games, like if you watch, like, uh, I'm going to be out of the theater, so I'm going to miss it, but, like, uh, they're going to have Super Mario 64 today, which, you, it's fun to watch that, but it's not like watching someone play the game, because, like, people are flying through walls, and it gets really abstract. It's not like watching somebody play the game normally. Uh, but it's just, you always kind of see cool stuff. Uh, because it's a bunch of nerds uh, getting together, there's always, you know, the the fair share of guys who can't talk, like Bill. Um, just kind of, like, who can barely communicate. Her all just, like, really kind of sullen just playing the game. But occasionally do you get really funny, great people. Sometimes they're actual ladies uh, who show up. Uh, so it's not a total sausage fest, even though it's 95% a sausage fest. Uh, there's at least some, there's a lot of minorities at least, but yeah. Awesome games done quick and stolen. It's a fun to watch. It's always good. The people who host it, uh, try to do a good job of making it as entertaining as possible. Um, usually when you're contributing to awesome games done quick, you're donating money, but usually depending on which game, uh, you're donating, uh, during, um, you also get registered for like everyone donates. Actually, I should donate some artwork to those guys to give away as 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 uh, donation rewards. Because um, yeah, like you can yeah yeah you might get free games or like you know fan art posters or kind of crazy shit like that or I don't know. There's it's a good thing. Awesome games done. AGDQ. It's always good times. Yeah, my I I haven't um I'm not necessarily into streaming stuff and I'm not necessarily into um speedruns or anything like that though I, though I admire the idea behind yeah. them and like the the idea of breaking something through gameplay is interesting but um it's uh, funny this should be happening now and I wasn't aware of it because just yesterday um I'm I'm battling a cold 
And uh, I so I sat down on my sofa all day yesterday. I was watching Devs play, which is uh, something that two player productions does with oh, Double yeah. Fine, where they did a first season and now they're working on a second season. Where they, you know, it's usually someone from Double Fine talking to a developer about a game as they play through the game. And uh, just yesterday, I watched um, the, in season one they did a Devs play of Psychonauts. So they had a lot of the Psychonauts team from Double Fine sitting in a room as a speedrunner um, broke their game into a speedrun of the game in front of them. And, oh, uh, I still haven't seen that, but that sounds awesome. It was one of my favorites, and it was a really, really fun watch. This poor guy was so nervous and also kind of an asshole. <laughs> what, the actual the game streamer guy? Yeah, he was, yeah, you know, he was very nervous. Yeah, that's kind of the course, I could, yeah. I could see how he would be nervous in that situation, but it was pretty yeah. funny. But, kind of, um, yeah. uh, which is kind of funny, because sometimes actually in AGTQ, you will actually get developers phone in. And what was it? Uh, I think it was like some of the Donkey Kong Country guys last year. Uh-huh. They phoned in. They're like, oh, yeah. Like they had one of the programmers who kind of phoned in. Oh, and they're like, oh, you found that that glitch. Shit. Okay, that is fancy. <laughs> you know, because the, the guys who work on games don't usually like watch people streaming their games. So this, like there was a couple guys like tuning in for the first time going, oh, wow, you really broke our fucking game. Jesus Christ. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty funny stuff. So, yeah, that's if you get bored, if you have access to Twitch, man, if you just want to watch people play video games for the next straight week, you can. It's, 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 it's pretty fun. Um, so, well, friends, yeah. thank you for joining us on this wintry Sunday uh, with the Boy Heidi podcast. So it may not be wintry or Sunday when you're listening to this. Yeah, if you happen to live in Portland, <laughs> uh, people have pointed out that outside right now it looks like uh, The Last of Us out there. Like, the snow yeah, looks like The Last of Us. Uh, her pal, Brendan Atkins, is just like, yeah, it's the snow from yeah. The Last of Us. He's not wrong, my friend. Uh, well, friends, uh, we'll be back next week to talk to y'all about some more pop culture do- garbage. As always, we're Boy Heidi Podcast. Dot com at Boy Hattie Podcast on Twitter. You can holler at us. Bill is on Tardy to the Party Podcast. Tardy Podcast. Tardy Podcast. That got me. Uh, and uh, we'll be back next week to talk to y'all about more horseshit. We're, uh, Annie and I are going to have some interesting conversations about Carol and the Hateful Eight, I'm sure. It'll be. Uh, wow. I, I, I will say I will probably have all my thoughts in the Ladylike Book Club Carol episode. And once I get here, I'll be all. You got to do because you're so. going to see Carol and Hateful Eight at the same place. Why not just do a double feature? God, because I want to be able to go outside and smile afterwards. Well, that's what I'm saying. You, you go see the Hateful Eight, like and then you go upstairs to see Carol afterwards. It's a nice palace cleanser. That's a five-hour movie death march. That does yeah, not sound they got bathrooms fun. there. You can pee in a cup. Oh, please. <laughs> okay. All right, kids, we'll talk to you all next week. Take care, guys. <laughs>